Morning, everyone. Listen, it's Easter, and that means that without any regret, we can enjoy a great roast dinner, hunt for chocolate eggs with our new baskets, toast hot cross buns, and send each other cute pictures of ducklings, all whilst dancing with the Easter bunny and uh, wearing our yellow Easter bonnets. But listen, today, more important than any of that, we're going to make much of Jesus and remember that he is risen. Now, I was sat down with one of the other members of King's Arm staff earlier this week and happened to mention that I was involved with speaking at several big events through the course of this week. And I'd be preaching today. And they looked at me and said, oh, great. What are you going to be preaching on? I said, well, it's Easter. And so I'm thinking the resurrection of our savior might be a good idea. And so here we are. And uh, But here's the thing. On an Easter Sunday, people think that they often know the story. They think that maybe this is the easiest time for you to be able to preach. But that's because of the fact that we've got so in the habit of hearing exactly what has happened. But I wonder whether you would join with me today at looking with fresh eyes at Matthew 28. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. So jump into your Bible. I'm going to read it out for us. Early on Sunday morning. As the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothes was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. Now let's pause for a moment because this right here is the centerpiece of our faith. He is risen. And it's good to hear some truth on a Sunday morning. Jesus is alive. But you might be thinking to yourself, did it really happen? Maybe you're checking out King's Arms for the first time and you're wondering, Did he really rise from the dead? Well, listen, there are so many reasons for us to believe. And this was one of my big questions when I was exploring the Christian faith as a non-believer in my mid-20s. You see, I knew that Jesus was a pretty big deal for some people, but discovered that he's actually the most significant person in all of world history. See, more songs have been sung about him and more books have been written about him, more lives devoted to him than anyone else who has ever lived. He is the single most uh, significant person in human history. Now, the Bible is also the single most significant document in world history. And what it contains is many eyewitness accounts and reports of exactly what happened with Jesus. And it points to the most significant event in all of history, which is his resurrection. Listen, let me take that one step further, because the most significant decision of your or any of our lives is whether we will reject or receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. So what evidence is there? All right, well, listen, let me just list a few things. I'm not going to go into huge detail, but let me share a few things. Firstly, is his absence from the, from the tomb. Now, what we know is that this man was beaten beyond recognition. He was crucified. He was killed on a wooden cross by professional executioners. These people who had uh, pushed a spear even in through his ribs and punctured his heart. And yet he was no longer in his heavily bound grave clothes. Second thing we know is that he, there were all these appearances to other people. See, Jesus met with more than 500 people over a period of 40 days. And Jesus ate with them. He cooked with them. They touched him and he held long conversations with them. And then one of the most compelling arguments for me is the fact that the disciples were transformed. See, these people were cowards. They were uh, hidden in an upper room and yet were transformed, having met the risen Lord Jesus. into being people who were willing to die 
for the truth of the fact that he was resurrected. Now, would you die for a lie just as many of them did? And it wasn't just his followers who were actually moved from despondent doubters, even his enemies, people like Saul, who were eager to destroy Christianity and killing his followers were converted upon meeting the risen Lord Jesus. We have uh, evidence like the fact that there was the culturally ridiculous reality of the fact that it was the women who were the first eyewitnesses, just as we've seen these ladies who were the first eyewitnesses, the first people to tell of Jesus's resurrection. We know from uh, history that his family even worshipped him as God, which is a remarkable piece of evidence. And then there's the fact that there's the immediate transition and change in the church. The fact that the Sabbath was moved to a Sunday, the fact that the church exploded and had this dramatic impact on the world. There's one scholar called Michael Green who said this. He said the church from a handful of uneducated fishermen and tax collectors swept across the whole known world. It's the perfectly amazing story of a peaceful revolution that has no parallel in history. It came about because Christians were able to say to inquirers, Jesus did not only die for you, he's alive. You can meet him and discover for yourself the reality of what we're talking about. They did, and the church spread everywhere. <laughs> the other bit of evidence I would point to is me, right here. You see, I'm one of people from every background, continent, nationality, uh, every economic and social and intellectual background from all walks of life. We unite in the common experience of the risen Lord Jesus, testifying to his grace and his power at work in my and so many others' lives. Now, if you want to explore any of that further, I'd urge you to get a copy of uh, uh, many different books, actually. But what I'd point you toward is the called A Case for Christ, written by an atheist journalist called Lee Strobel. Now, he uh, became so convinced on his journey to try and disprove Christianity that he became a Christian. He even said this. He said it was the evidence from science and history that prompted me to abandon my atheism and become a Christian. Here's what I want you to know. On this Easter Sunday, Christian belief in the resurrection is not some blind acceptance of a religious pill to help us feel better as we journey through life. It rests on solid credible evidence available to anyone who wants to investigate the facts so all right what does it mean to us if jesus rose from the grave we can believe and trust everything that he ever said and that changes everything it means that there is a good god who loves you who made a way for you to be free from your sin free from your shame your habits your hang-ups and to know him now, in recent years i think everyone on earth has become acutely familiar with the frailty of life and what feels like the finality of death. And yet on an Easter Sunday, we come to this one who overcame death. And so church, what we're going to do is we're going to look at these amazing women and see how they responded in these next three verses. If you go back to Matthew 28 and we'll continue, it says, and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I've told you. It says the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. They ran to him, grasped his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and I will see them there. All right. So what do we see? Just like these ladies, we are commissioned to go and tell okay that's what it says that they need to go and tell you see we've got this great news for the world christ is risen and that changes everything 
kind of one of my heroes of the faith is a guy called William Boone. And uh, he founded something called the Salvation Army, which uh, radically served the poor and the masses for many, many years. And he traveled and he preached, but it made a huge difference to uh, right away across the UK and beyond as he uh, released and equipped people to kind of carry out Christ's business and be Christ's hands and feet. But it was on the Christmas Eve of 1910 when William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army, was coming to the end of his life. And it was impossible for him to attend the army's annual convention. Now, someone near him suggested that he send a telegram to be read at the opening of the convention so that the Salvation Army members in attendance, it would be as an encouragement for them for their many hours of labour, serving others throughout the holidays and the cold winter months. Now, Booth had agreed. But funds were really tight and telegrams were charged by the word. And so to ensure that as much money as possible would still go to help the needy, Booth decided that he would send a one word message. Now, he searched his mind and reviewed his uh, years of ministry, seeking the one word that would summarize his life, the mission of the Salvation Army and encourage those who gathered to continue on when thousands of delegates met. The moderators uh, announced that Booth could not be present due to his failing health. And there was gloom and pessimism that swept right across the convention floor until the moderator announced that Booth sent a telegram to be read at the start of the first session. He opened the message and the one word simply read others. Others. See, are we willing to live for others in light of what Christ has done? That is our encouragement. Go and tell others. It was interesting. We were caught, uh, as many people were in the storms a few weeks back when it was kind of wind charging across Bedford. And uh, one of our fence panels actually came down. It was my son, James, who kind of stepped out and was the first to notice it. And he kind of stepped out, saw it and was like, oh, my gosh. And then he kind of looked at me and he said, oh, well, at least we don't have to go and walk around to get to the neighbours. I believe that was both profound and prophetic. You see, we want to be able to connect with the people around us. We want to be able to live for the others who are around us. And let's take these little times and these circumstances to move fences out of the way and make a connection with people who are far from God. You see, I would even encourage you today, Easter Day, do something to express love to someone else. See, what we're going to be doing as a, as a household is we're going to be taking Easter eggs around to our neighbours because I honestly believe that we are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. Second thing from this passage I want you to think about is that we shouldn't always trust the summary. You see, when I looked at my Bible study in preparation, or study Bible, excuse me, in preparation for this message, I noticed the summary of the passage simply said, empty tune and, and risen Jesus. Now that's a beautiful thing. And uh, it's obviously true, but it misses some really important information. So imagine the, the, the story of Lazarus, okay? The summary might simply say, Lazarus died, Jesus raised him. Now, again, that's true, but it misses some key information. It misses the tears. It misses the reality of the compassion of God as Jesus connected with that moment of pain before Lazarus was raised again. Now, if we just see empty tomb and risen Jesus in this passage, we see that these women were frightened. Okay. We can't just see the empty tomb and the risen Jesus. We want to see what happened to the women. We see that they were frightened. It even says they were very frightened. Now, here's a question for you. Are you willing to admit today and be strong enough to admit that it doesn't always feel like Easter? It doesn't feel like Easter every day. You know, I, I don't wake up every day with the joys of spring and that sense of excitement. 
reality. I've actually had a tough couple of weeks here in the Wilson household with uh, different ones of us with a sickness bug. In fact, I think there's been eight of the last 16 days where we've had sleepless nights or someone vomiting. And so we're tired and we're a bit under pressure. Now, thankfully, you'll be pleased to know that when I'm uh, tired, I perform better and I'm actually far more patient with the people around me which isn't true. I apologize for lying on an Easter Sunday, especially now many of us, I think would share that whether it's through the recognition of the cost of living going up, the horrendous pictures that were uh, filling our kind of news feeds from the Ukraine or the pain and loss from the last two years. It's been a hard season, but two things can be true at once. These women, it says, were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And even in your circumstances, you can know joy. Now, joy is different from happiness. Joy is like this undercurrent, a steadiness, a conviction, a conviction in who you are and in whose you are. And ultimately, death is a doorway into perfect unity with him. And it's the resurrection that makes that possible. Now, sometimes it might seem strange that God hasn't broken in in the way that you wanted him to. It certainly feels to me sometimes like, why has God broken in the way that I want him to in the circumstances that I'm living through, but also the circumstances of those that I see around me? But it was actually the same with the disciples, you know. At one point, they were demanding that Jesus would never have even gone to the cross in the first place. And yet Jesus himself said it was uh, your will, God's will should be done, not mine. Even in the midst of the chaos. God is still working. And there's no better place to see that than in Good Friday and the crucifixion. And then as we step forward and celebrate Easter Sunday, you see these women, though, they may have been frightened, but they were still obedient to God. That's an amazing thing. And that's our job, too. See, We can be frightened. We can be nervous and yet still live with obedience. And that might be in your life right now, a decision to fight for purity when it's easier not to. It might mean speaking up for justice for people who can't speak for themselves. It might mean looking uh, differently around your friends and your family and avoiding gossip and avoiding some of the things that they're involved with. And what's fascinating, though, is you see that Jesus met these women as they were obedient. They uh, don't wait. They don't wait. Oh, well, if Jesus wants to meet with me, then he'll come and then I'll respond. But they start to move. I think so often that is the case for us. It's times when I've stepped forward in faith when God really shows up. And it's then you see when we've got the opportunity to walk with God. I mean, look at those verses again, nine and ten. It says, and as they went, then Jesus met with them and he greeted them. And look at their beautiful response. It says they ran to him, grasped his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. See, he uh, endorses their obedience. He still gives them the same commission, but they're doing it alongside him with his voice ringing in their ears. And as they've worshipped him, you see too many people. And, and I don't say this flippantly. It's actually quite a painful thing. I think in this season have found that when they are under pressure, when they've gone through a difficult time, they've backed away. Now, it's my conviction that it's the opposite thing that should be true of us. Now is the time when things are, are difficult, when things are hard, that we should run to him, grab his feet, worship him and listen to his voice. Don't be afraid, he says. I'm with you. And it happened as they went, as they demonstrated their obedience. You see, when I when I pray when I'm willing to get up, to get out, to go for walks, to be with him, to be intentional, 
to grab my journal, to connect in a way that's deep and profound. And when I choose to worship, when I'm connected to good people and community, I know that I'm closer to him. It's when I feel more alive. Guys, it's even when I feel more clean. I want that for you as well. And here's the thing. Here's where I'll end, okay? That when we do these things, when we're obedient to the truth, living in the light of resurrection, he wants to pour out his kingdom through us, to demonstrate his resurrection power as we live and share with others. Let me share an amazing story that I heard recently about something that was going on in northern Uganda. It was a friend of mine who went to a place called Soroti where there are groups of Christians looking to see God's kingdom extended. They, uh, what they do is they preach the gospel, they share of the, the good news of Jesus, they encourage people to read their Bibles and then ask a simple question. What do you have in your hand right now that could alleviate human suffering and make a pathway to human flourishing? There was one person, a, a very new believer who had come to faith and was reading the scriptures. He was reading his Bible and asking this question, look, I have nothing but marshland, he said. It's a horrible place with loads of mosquitoes and malaria was actually really high in that area. And he had no idea how this could lead to a vision of human flourishing. But those in the group, those in the family, they started to dream together. What could we do? And then this one guy had an idea. What if we dig down and see if we can hit the water level? Now, 20 people in that community offered to dig. And after 30 days of digging, a pond emerged. Now, fish began to live and breed in that pond. Now, first, they were able to do something amazing, right? They were able to start feeding themselves and feed others in their community. But more than that, they had an excess, so they began to sell the fish at the local market and then generate some income. And with the income, they began to send kids to school and to get an education. And as uh, an education is a way out of poverty, it began to, to relieve poverty in the area. So they're feeding people and they're educating people. And then with that money that made at the market, they begin to make another pond and then another. And they began to employ people to manage the ponds, generating more income. And with the income, they began making homes for people in the community. Now, it gets even better because someone started asking the question, why are these fish breeding so fast? And they discovered that the fish were feeding on the mosquito larva. So malaria rates began to plummet. That swampland that was literally a place of death and cause of harm in the community became a place that was feeding people, housing people, educating children, providing employment and bringing malaria rates down. How did it begin? Because one person in the family of God coming to faith and reading the scriptures, that's human flourishing friends that's what god wants for all of us obedient people who are living in light of the finished work of the cross and looking to love others in every single way but those who can know joy in the process guys i want to pray for you but before i do let me just say there'll be some people here who are watching this right now who don't know jesus as their personal savior don't know what it means to be forgiven of their sins and don't know what it means to be adopted into God's family. Well, scripture says in Romans 10 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Let me tell you, there is no better time to connect with someone and ask Jesus into your life than Easter Sunday. So if you want to do that, there'll be people in the chat who are wanting to do that with you. 
And so please do take the opportunity to confess your sin and to receive Jesus this day because he's alive and he loves you. But Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you, God, for this opportunity. I want to thank you, God, for joy, that even in the midst of our circumstances, we can know it because of the truth of the resurrection. And I want to pray, Lord, that we would be those people who follow you and are obedient to you. And God, would we be those people this Easter Sunday who live for others and bring transformation everywhere that we go. In Jesus' name, amen.